The Athletic. Hey Siri, define goat. A hardy domesticated ruminant mammal that has backward curving horns. No, scratch that. It's Lionel Messi. Sports fans across the world are obsessed with the concept of the GOAT, the acronym for the greatest of all time. Whether it's Michael Jordan in basketball, Muhammad Ali in boxing, or Tiger Woods in golf, sports fans need to crown the intergenerational king of their craft. The players most often associated with GOAT status when it comes to soccer are Lionel Messi, fellow Argentine Diego Maradona, Brazil icon Pelé, and Portugal's Cristiano Ronaldo. Messi sprinkles stardust wherever he goes, winning 12 league titles in two countries and four Champions Leagues, the annual competition between the best teams in Europe. He's also scored a sublime 807 career goals for Barcelona in Spain, PSG in France, and his country, Argentina. However, he had to wait for the best part of two decades for silverware with Argentina. First, it was the Copa America, the competition which crowns the best team in South America, and then, the most prestigious trophy in the international game, the World Cup. The focus is on Lionel Messi. Messi scores! You know, as much as Messi going on to win the Copa America in 2021 and the World Cup in 2022, it's easy to dress this up as an inevitability that it was always going to happen for him. It might not have. As his career begins to wind down at the age of 36, Messi plans to conquer America with his move to Inter-Miami, the Major League Soccer Club part-owned by David Beckham. This series from The Athletic will bring you expert insight into the inner workings of the Argentine switch to South Florida and how it can make MLS go boom. We'll also look back on the signings of stars from previous eras like Pelé, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, and of course Beckham himself, and how they attempted to grow the domestic game in the U.S. This is the making of Messi. Our story begins in Rosario, Argentina, a bustling city of around 2 million people in the province of Santa Fe. Rosario is the birthplace of the Argentine flag, as well as Marxist revolutionary Che Guevara. This is also where the greatest soccer player of all time is born. Messi's parents are normal people working normal jobs. His father, Jorge, who's now his agent, was a supervisor at a steel company. His mother, Celia, she worked at a, an electrical coils company. I think the fact that both of his parents worked tells you that you know, they, they had to make ends meet. They had to support a family of six. There, there are four children. Uh, Messi has uh, two older brothers and, and a younger sister. There's his home in, in, in Rosario where he grew up is still there. It's a, it's a very, just a humble two-story home. And, and I think essentially Messi came from just a middle-class upbringing to, to what he's known as today, an absolute superstar. My name is Felipe Cardenas and I'm a football writer for The Athletic, concentrating mainly on Major League Soccer and international football. 
Messi joins his boyhood club, Newell's Old Boys, at the age of six. Newell's was established by Englishman Isaac Newell in 1903 in Rosario, and their list of alumni is quite special. Some of the biggest names in football that you recognize have come out of that club, like Marcelo Bielsa, Gabriel Batistuta, Mauricio Pochettino played there as well. Gerardo Tata Martino, who is now going to coach Messi in Inter-Miami, is also a legend at Newell's. As a youngster, Messi is busy showcasing his abundance of talent. However, it wasn't like he was known throughout the country, like we have this superstar that's in the making and look at this young young kid play. No, you know, if, if you didn't go to the, the youth games at Rosario, you didn't know who Leo Messi was. The problem with Messi was just his size. When Messi is 10, he and his family are delivered some bad news. He was diagnosed by a pediatric endocrinologist as, as having growth hormone deficiency. The Argentine is just four foot two at the age of 10, well below the average of four foot six for boys his age. And there was treatment that was needed. At the time, it was treatment that was, that was very expensive. Even today, it's an expensive treatment. It was something that the family could not, could not expense on their own. And so they sought help from, from the club. And, and Newell's old boys, you know, they didn't necessarily turn their back on Leo Messi, but it was a hurdle perhaps too high for them at the time. Enter. Barcelona. Barca have scouts all over the world and they look at thousands of players, but they're staggered by what they see with Messi. Cassette tapes show him slaloming through defenders with ease and scoring countless goals. But there are doubts. Horacio Gagioli, an agent who worked on the Messi deal for Barcelona, was shocked when he met the player for the first time. There's no way he can play. This child is too skinny. He described his legs as the size of fingers. He was concerned for Messi that he would his legs would be broken as soon as he started playing competitively in, in, in within the Barcelona youth system. But it only took a day. The very next day, as soon as they dressed Messi in, in Barcelona gear and, and had him train with the youth team, he was head and shoulders better than everybody else. Messi impresses during his trial. But Barca hesitate. After lots of back and forth, a contract offer on a now famous napkin seals the deal. December 14th of 2000, we're in Barcelona, we're, that, that's where this took place. We needed a final decision. Carlos Rosach, the sporting director at the time for, for, for Barcelona, just grabbed a napkin and wrote a contract and said the people here at this dinner, including Gaglioli, his partner, and myself are now responsible for this player, Lionel Messi. That napkin to this day is revered in Barcelona. And Gagliola told me that he keeps it at a bank in a safe deposit box. It was notarized by, by his attorneys and it became a legal document, a napkin, which established Lionel Messi as, as a Barcelona player. That's where Barcelona and Lionel Messi's adventure began, essentially. Lionel Messi and Pep Guardiola are a match made in heaven. If Messi is the GOAT on the pitch, Guardiola is the GOAT on the touchline. In the recent 2022-23 season, the Spaniard led Premier League side Manchester City to their best ever campaign as they won the treble. 
but his legacy was forged at Barca. He went from a ball boy, to captain of the team, to then winning 14 major trophies in just four years as head coach at the Camp Nou, Barcelona's iconic stadium. Together, in the 2008-2009 season, Messi and Guardiola make history, when Barcelona become the first Spanish team to win the treble. That's La Liga, the Champions League, and the Copa del Rey. Barcelona couldn't compete with the number of Champions League that Real Madrid has, but with that treble, Barcelona managed to get something that Real Madrid still hasn't done. And Lionel Messi was the star of the show. He went from being a talented youngster to become like a world star with a monster mentality. My name is Paul Ballus and I'm the athletic correspondent at Barcelona covering FC Barcelona. In 2009, something special happens for Messi. He wins the first of his record seven Ballon d'Ors, the yearly award for the best male soccer player on the planet. Barcelona fans were realizing that Lionel Messi could start like an era of domination. And dominate he does. The winner of the FIFA Ballon d'Or is Lionel Messi. Lionel Messi. Lionel Messi. Lionel Messi. But it's not all sunshine and rainbows for Messi, especially at the start of his 20-year Barca career. We don't realize like about the change of life that he had to go through at the age of 13. On the pitch, things were going quite okay for Messi, but off the pitch, when he came back home, he just basically locked himself in his room and he applied himself like the treatment of growth hormones that he had to go through, basically just to get over with it and just keep going. Despite his off-field troubles, Barca are brewing a superstar in their academy, La Masia. What is La Masia, you may be asking? It means like country house, like a farmhouse. That's like the literal meaning of it. It was like, in practical terms, it was like located next to the Camp Nou. Most of the players from the Barcelona Academy used to live. Players from all ages used to live there. They went to school together, they went to high school, then they went to training. It is really known like for the production of talent that it had, basically. Andres Iniesta, Lionel Messi, Xavi, Carlos Puyol, Victor Valdés. Messi quickly goes about setting records, something he does a lot of in his career. There's like a really particular season on the 2003 and 2004 season where Messi sets a record that hasn't been broken yet at the Barcelona Academy, which is playing with five different teams in the same season. He played with five different age groups the very same season, like from the under-18s, the under-19s, and then Barcelona V team, Barcelona C team, because they had like two amateur teams. And then the first team, he made his debut with the first team. His teammates just like couldn't believe it. So the skinny boy from Rosario is now playing with Brazilian World Cup winner Ronaldinho, Portugal legend Deco, and Cameroon star Samuel Eto'o. Messi goes from strength to strength, and Barca's domination kicks in when Guardiola arrives in 2008. In 2015, they win the treble again under current PSG boss Luis Enrique. But there's someone who wants to spoil the party. He can score with his left foot. He can score with his right foot. He can score from distance. He's probably the best poacher now in world football. He can score with penalties. And if you stick it in the box and hang it up there, he'll go and score with a header. And he might even score with a free kick. Cristiano Ronaldo. Beautiful. Beautiful. Genius. He's turned the tie around all by himself. Another Champions League hat trick. 
that rivalry against Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo is, in my opinion, one of the most impressive things in, in sport that we have ever seen. It's going to be really difficult in the future to see a rivalry with that level, with like that many years, like fighting against each other. It was like, it, it was amazing to see. As the cliche goes, all good things must come to an end. Messi continues to do his job, but Barca's hierarchy don't. At Spanish football clubs, things work a little bit differently to the rest of Europe and other continents. Clubs have presidents who oversee the overall management of the club. And in Barca's case, they have like the president, they also have a sporting director and people who deal with transfer and contract extension. And presidents at Barca are voted for by the club socios, the, like the memberships who are allowed to participate on the election and just to place their vote for whoever president they want to, to win the election and to run the club. A series of bad decisions on transfers, like letting Brazilian superstar Neymar join PSG in 2017, leave the club in turmoil behind the scenes. Spanish businessman Josep Maria Bartomeu becomes president in 2014. The financial problems which still plague the club today, almost a decade later, start here. Barcelona wastes close to a quarter of a billion dollars on expensive flops like Philippe Coutinho, Ousmane Dembele, and Antoine Griezmann. There wasn't like a solid leadership, a solid person guiding the club through like firm decisions. And out of the blue, like the power of the club ended up in the, in the dressing room. It was not on the president or in the manager, and that was extra pressure for Lionel Messi. This is the beginning of the end, and the unthinkable becomes a reality, that Messi might not finish his career at Barcelona. Messi sent this bureau fax and the legal document to the club showing his desire to leave Barcelona on a free transfer because according to Lionel Messi, he had a clause on his contract that he could leave on a free if he decided to. Jose Maria Bartomeu replied to that clause saying that it wasn't valid anymore because it came after COVID, timings were in a gray area basically. He made Messi stay at the club against his will, which is something that the fans never forgive him. Fast forward to 2021, and popular former Barca president Joan Laporta is re-elected. There's renewed hope, but not for long. Joan Laporta was the president when Lionel Messi came through the, the academy of FC Barcelona and made it to the first team. And the bond that Laporta and Lionel Messi had was great. They negotiated for a new deal and they reached an agreement, with Messi taking a, a huge pay cut, knowing that the club was like facing a tough summer in terms of like the financial side of the club. On the very last minute, like the club asked Lionel Messi's camp to help like a last minute meeting. They told them like the last minute problems that they had in terms of like finances. They couldn't register Messi within La Liga limits. They tried to renegotiate in some sort of detail, but it was already broken. It was like tough for Messi to take and we could see how he cried and how emotional he was on his farewell event at the club because he had to leave the club of his life against his will. So from a playing perspective, why is Messi considered as one of the best ever to play the sport? At his peak, Messi was the best at shooting and passing and dribbling. There's pretty much only three things you can do when you get the ball. Those are the three things and, and he was the best at each of them. Football tactics writer for The Athletic, Michael Cox, picks out goals which showcase Messi's excellence in those three key departments. One from the World Cup last year, it maybe wasn't the most spectacular goal, but it was a really big goal in the second round against Australia. Messi! 
ends up yet another game. It's a kind of classic Messi finishing that is placed rather than driven. I mean, obviously, the one of the differences, I think, between him and Cristiano Ronaldo over the years has been power. I think power in the way that they run, but also in terms of how they finish. I personally always like a, a neat little finish. And this is just slid past the defender. It's not even really in the corner, but it's done at such speed that it's quite difficult for the goalkeeper to read. Unquestionably, my personal favourite Leo Messi goal was in a 3-1 win against Villarreal back in 2010. And this was really the crucial goal. It's when the game was one all, Barcelona a little bit on the back foot. And it comes from a, a quickly taken free kick in midfield by Xavi. And the thing I like about it is when Messi gets the ball, there's basically nine outfielders between him and the goal. And kind of only one attacking player who's an option, who's Pedro. And Messi gets the ball in front of the Villarreal midfield. And he plays a first one-two with Pedro to get the ball between the lines. And then as soon as he gets the ball that time, he then plays another one-two with Pedro to run in behind. And then he dinks it over the goalkeeper with his right foot. It just summarises what Messi's all about. He's He can be a deep playmaker, he can be between the lines, he can be going in behind. And he does it all in the blink of an eye, really before Villarreal have even switched on for the free kick very famous goal that he scored for Barcelona against Real Madrid in the Champions League semi-final back in 2011. It was the first leg. It was quite a brutal game really. Real Madrid, I think at that point, didn't really feel they could cope with Barcelona in terms of tactics or technique and they really went after them in a physical sense. The good thing about the goal is it's basically Messi doing it all himself, but he uses Busquets as basically just a wall. It's almost like Busquets briefly is the, the number nine, he's the big centre forward just playing a hold-up role. And Busquets gets an assist for what is not even a pass. I mean, he basically just traps the ball, stands with the ball, and lets Messi do his thing. Away from two, three, four. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. How good is he? And it's just an extraordinarily good goal. The directness and the speed, and of course the fact that he finishes it with his right foot as well. I mean, he beats both centre-backs and Marcelo, the left-back, and then rolls it past Casillas. He is just brilliant. Best player in the world, bar none. We've heard a lot about Messi the soccer player, but what about Messi the man, and what drives him? My name is Nick Miller, I'm a writer for The Athletic. What I've found out about his character and what he's like away from the pitch is not a lot, because it seems like there's not really a lot to find out. When he first joined Barcelona, he was so quiet that people thought he was mute. These days he's a little more forthcoming, but people who have met him say he could be quite easily sitting at the next table to you at a restaurant and you probably wouldn't know that the greatest footballer to ever live was next to you. His life doesn't seem to be that exciting, he went to see Coldplay recently. What is another remarkable thing, apart from his talent, is his money. Money has been a key theme running throughout his career, to the point where one person I spoke to said it was his number one passion. We should probably point out that a few other people disputed that, but the figures are astronomical. His final contract at Barcelona, the one he tried to get out of with the infamous Eurofax, could have paid him 555 million euros over four years. That deal was a big contributory fact to Barcelona's financial problems and the main reason that they couldn't sign him 
back. Forbes estimates he makes around $65 million every year for endorsements from companies like Adidas, Pepsi, Budweiser, Mastercard, Louis Vuitton, the Hard Rock Cafe, and a wide range of crypto companies with strange made-up sounding names. Plus, of course, that deal with the Saudi Tourist Board. He probably could have earned even more money by selling for a Saudi club rather than into Miami, but he's betting on the commercial potential of being in the US now and after his career finishes. Does any of this matter? Does it matter if he's rich and boring? Maybe not, even if some of his money is from slightly questionable sources. Ultimately, all anyone will really care about is how he plays on the pitch. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. shots that many thought they would never see. Lionel Messi wearing a football club shirt that didn't belong to Barcelona. He was at the Parc de Prince in a PSG kit and he will wear the number 30, the number he had when he made his debut at Barcelona. Messi's story resumes in the city of love, Paris. However, PSG's journey under its Qatari owners has been anything but a love story. In fact, it's been a tale full of European heartbreak. Although the French side are all but certain to win their domestic division every year, the Champions League is the silverware they so badly desire. The closest they've been to the promised land was in 2020, when they went all the way to the final, only to lose to Germany's Bayern Munich. When Messi comes along in the summer of 2021, PSG must have been thinking, surely this is our time. Here was Messi joining forces with French World Cup winner Kylian Mbappe and his old teammate from Barca, Neymar. But it all goes wrong for Messi at PSG. Why? Well, where'd you start? I'm Tom Williams. I'm a football writer and broadcaster specializing in French football, and I contribute to The Athletic. Everyone knew from the start that he didn't want to be there. We saw him crying in that, in that press conference when he announced that he was leaving Barcelona. He didn't want to leave Barcelona. Barcelona didn't want him to leave. I don't think anyone in football really wanted to see him play for another club joined a team who weren't playing particularly good football and, and weren't in a successful period of their evolution. Our champions of Ligue 1 Lille, our champions of France after a decade in the waiting. They needed to have a better result than PSG. Struggled to adapt to French football, found it very physical, I think, perhaps more physical than he was expecting. They expect the best always from Leo, they expect the best from people. When you when you serve people caviar all the time and suddenly you don't give them that, uh, people don't care that you move, people don't care about your kids adapting, people don't care about your wife adapting, people don't care about you adapting. Fell short in terms of his primary objective, which was taking PSG to the next level in the Champions League. It's Messi and it's saved by Courtois! What a big moment in this Champions League last 16 tie! Never engaged with Paris as a city in any real way, with France as a country in any real way. Ran out of puff about halfway through his second season and then gave PSG an opportunity to make him an example by going on an unauthorised trip to Saudi Arabia. 
Chelsea has been suspended for two games and fined two weeks' wages for going on a personal promotional trip to Saudi Arabia without permission from the club. I think from PSG's perspective, given that they were already starting to think about, you know, the kind of the post-Messi era, it, it kind of suited them. It was a bit of an open goal and for once PSG didn't miss it. So I think if you kind of add all those things together, perhaps throw in a few other factors, you get an explanation for why it didn't work out. Club football, Messi's completed it. International football, not quite. Messi, the second he steps on a field without that core, is average. Because Xavi's not there, because Iniesta's not there, because David Villa's not there. So how do Argentina go from this in 2014? Germany are the champions of the world! For Argentina, the wait goes painfully on to this eight years later. I'm James Horncastle. I cover Serie A for The Athletic, but I followed Argentina at the World Cup in Qatar over the winter. I described Messi's relationship with Argentina as heartfelt and yet quite complicated. Messi got this opportunity to go to Barcelona. It meant he's never played club football in Argentina, certainly at a professional level, in the way that some of the country's other icons did, be it Diego Maradona, Mario Kempes. And so it became quite easy to frame Messi as a foreigner. In 2006, in Germany, Messi's first World Cup, there was already a lot of anticipation for him to be kind of thrust into the, the national team. You know, he'd, he'd already made his debut, which was kind of a bad omen, really, because he got sent off very shortly into it. There was this, this pressure on Jose Peckerman, the coach at the time, to include Messi more, regardless of his age, and to play him more. Argentina crash out at the quarterfinal stage at the 2006 World Cup, losing to hosts Germany. Messi is left on the bench during that match, and people aren't happy. Argentina's elimination was framed around Peckerman not using Messi. Every major tournament would be seen as, can Messi do this for Argentina? If Messi can't, no one can. And it all, again, became pitched as well with Maradona could do this for Argentina. He could take the team on his back, the country on his back. Messi must do this. It was a big shortcoming, I think, in, in the coaching that Argentina and Messi was receiving compared with what Messi was getting in Barcelona. There was a lot of dysfunction around Argentine football at the time, be it because of the financial crisis at the turn of the century in Argentina. If you go back to Maradona's World Cup performances or his playing time with, with Argentina, he was seen as someone who got to benefit from playing for great coaches like Menotti, Basile as well. Diego Maradona comes up a lot when discussing Messi in Argentina. Maradona did what his modern counterpart couldn't do for a long time when he captained Argentina to World Cup glory in 1986. Forget about the GOAT for a second. 
Maradona was seen as more than a footballer, and more than a human even. talk about the supernatural how Diego Maradona for example is often so associated with with being a sort of pagan god Maradona was a larger than life character it's hard enough living up to a great footballer standards let alone a god Messi for a time was was seen as taciturn quite introverted uh, quite quiet certainly in comparison with Maradona and you know when Argentina started losing these Copa America finals. Maradona said that he did not believe that Messi had the characteristics to be a leader. In 2016, Messi hits rock bottom. You have the 2014 World Cup, which they lose to, to Germany. They then lose the, the 2015 Copa America to Chile. And then in 2016, there was this centenary edition of the Copa America in the United States. And it goes to a penalty shootout. And Messi misses Argentina's first penalty. And Chile go on to win that as well. And if you think about that, that is three consecutive years in which you've taken your country to a final and you lose all of those finals. But we start with big breaking news this morning and Lionel Messi has told Argentinian television that he is retiring from international football. He was kind of humble enough to accept at that moment that, you know, maybe all the trophies he was winning as an individual, all the trophies he was winning as a club were not going to be matched by what he did with his country. But his mini retirement doesn't last long. Two months later, Messi is back in business. Lionel Scaloni takes over as Argentina head coach in 2018, and a few years later, in the lead-up to the 2021 Copa America, everything changes. You have a group of players which I think Messi felt comfortable in. He felt there was a good chemistry. He compared it with the team that had reached the World Cup final in 2014. It was one that liked being together. It was the one that had solidarity with one another. And it was one that was coached by somebody who understood Messi in Lionel Scaloni. Scaloni, who'd been a teammate of Messi's with, with Argentina. The vibe and the atmosphere around the team is right. And they go all the way. And they beat Brazil in the final in Brazil. Once they won that title, it relieved Messi of, of some of the burden. I remember going into, for example, the, the 2022 World Cup, the debate around Messi was already kind of shifting. It was shifting away from, does Messi need to win the World Cup in order to be considered the greatest of all time or the equal or someone who could surpass Maradona? It's World Cup time. Argentina, after their Copa success, are one of the favorites going into the tournament in Qatar. They have an opening group game against Saudi Arabia. Should be fairly straightforward, right? Right? An extraordinary scoreline in the Lusail Stadium of Argentina 1, Saudi Arabia 2. 
the longer that game went on, the more the fans believed, the more frustrated Argentina got, and Saudi Arabia were able to use that to their advantage. And they upset Argentina in one of the, the greatest kind of shocks in World Cup history. Messi was asked about the, the atmosphere in the dressing room and he said, you know, we're, we're dead. We're dead in there. Operation Resurrection begins. There are labored victories over Poland and Mexico in the group, followed by an easy-ish win over Australia in the first knockout round. Oh, what's Mark Ryan doing here? Alvarez! A glaring error punished by the Manchester City man. There's the dramatic battle versus the Netherlands, which goes all the way to penalties. Argentina can celebrate. And how they will celebrate! The Albiceleste are through to a fifth World Cup semi-final. And a dominant 3-0 win over Croatia to set up the final. Maleo! It's reigning world champions France in the final, and Messi versus his PSG teammate and star boy of the world, Mbappe. Can he write another headline? McAllister looking at Di Maria. The final was the fairy tale ending. It was a great part in this sort of epic poem of Messi's career for Argentina that the last possible opportunity is when he wins the World Cup. It will go down in football lore as the, the, the greatest World Cup final. Montiel. Argentina, champions of the world. Again, at last. Lionel Messi has conquered his final peak. Messi has shaken hands with paradise. The little boy from Rosario Santa Fe has just pitched up in heaven. He climbs into a galaxy of his own. He has his crowning moments. And of course, he is not alone. And one feels for Mbappe, who scored a World Cup final hat-trick and lost. It felt like it was kind of a fitting end that a crazy final after a crazy tournament would, would, go, would go Messi's way. There were suggestions Messi would retire from international football after Argentina's triumph in Qatar. But there doesn't seem to be any signs that he will hang up his boots. Over the next few years, there's the Copa America in the US in 2024, and the World Cup in the US, Canada, and Mexico in 2026, both of which, coincidentally, are tied into Messi's move to Miami. Coming up on episode two of The Making of Messi, coming to America. We dissect what the Argentine's arrival means for US soccer, 
speaking to former players who have attempted to crack the United States, Bradley Wright Phillips and Nada Manuaha. It's not going to be about his team. It's not going to be about his team's history. It's going to be about everything that he's doing. He's the biggest asset the league has ever had. The Making of Messi is an athletic media production. It was presented by Mike Zimmerman. It was written and produced by Mike Zimmerman, Mike Stavrou, and Jay Beal. The executive editor was Ben Green. And the managing editors were Ian McIntosh and Alex K. Jelski. The Athletic. <laughs>